Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. morning and welcome to another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Um, thanks for joining us again today. I uh, hope everyone enjoyed the holiday procrastinators market uh, this last Saturday. We had a great time. Uh, the weather was appropriately cold and blustery for, for a holiday market. So thanks for everyone that joined us. Um, also want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Department of Small and Local Business Development and the uh, Department of Housing and Community Development. Their grant funds uh, help pay for this show, so thanks to both of them. Um, and Michelle, Christmas is right around the corner. Yes, it is. Have you, have you done all your shopping? You got uh, it done at the procrastinators market, right? Well, some of it. I've got tons of things to still do. Uh-oh. I'll be shopping until Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So uh, I don't know if you've heard, but Nito, uh, the restaurant at twenty. 2214 Rhode Island Avenue. You mean your home away from home? My home away, my satellite office, yes. Okay, yes. Um, They're having a special New Year's Eve dinner, uh, three-course meal, and uh, and paired with wines, uh, I believe, um, for New Year's Eve. So uh, everybody check that out. They've got very limited reservations. I think I got the last one in in the time slot that I'm going at. Uh Uh-huh. So just heads up. That's good to know. Okay, very good. Uh, so today we are joined early on with um, Sarah Scruggs from Mana Inc. Uh, here in D.C. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Good morning. So, Good morning. Michelle, I, I'm sure you know this, but I'm going to repeat this because it's one of my favorite stories. Um, Sarah and Mana were at our very first fall festival, like Fall Fest 2012. 2012. When we decided with $30 in the bank that we needed to have a fall festival on Rhode <laughs> Island Avenue. And uh, so we reached out to area organizations and uh, asked them to bring their own tables and their own tents and their own chairs and their own and everything. Show up and-, <laughs> and oh my gosh, Sarah was such a trooper for Mana. She came out and uh, sat in the, in the hot sun and passed out Mana information. And you had a lot of traffic that day. We had a ton of traffic that day. That was it was great, and and it was uh, due in part to your participation and the participation of other organizations in that very first Fall Fest that everybody said, "Hey, this is awesome! Let's do it again." And and Fall Fest now we do every year. Um, so thank you for being one of our pioneer organizations there. We were grateful for the opportunity. All right, and welcome for joining us. Well, thank you for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you. <laughs> So um, can you tell our listeners about MANA? What is MANA? Yes, uh, MANA is a nonprofit affordable housing developer, educator, and property manager. We've been around since 1982, started in the Shaw neighborhood, did about uh, 300 homes there, and became the victims of our own success. It's very (laughs) difficult uh, to develop property there, especially for ownership, which is what we mostly do. Uh, And then we moved to uh, the Rhode Island area, uh, right near the current Rhode Island Metro stop in the late 90s. And so we've been in Ward 5 for quite quite a bit of time. And, and in Ward 5 alone, we've done uh, over 200, 200 homes as well. And wow. then across the district, almost 1,200. 
um, and then helped over 1,500 families through different services and invested about $300 million into neglected urban neighborhoods. It's kind wow. of our, our niche. That's amazing. You mentioned some of the programs. Can you tell us about the programs that MANA has? Yes. Uh, so we, we build affordable homes, uh, both uh, homes for sale and then also rental. We're working with uh, some tenants right now, actually, through the TOPA process that wanted to um, purchase their building but keep it as an affordable rental, and so we're rehabbing the building for them. Um, there's a project up in Ward 4 that we're doing that with. And then as far as being an educator, we have a home buyer club that has been around since uh, the 80s. It's been replicated about 200 times across the U.S. through the NeighborWorks Network, which is a, a national organization that we're a member of. And that acts as uh, financial education for people that are considering to become homebuyers, usually for the first time. A lot of them don't have anyone in their family that has gone through the process before. Mm-hmm. So it acts as education for them through monthly meetings and one-on-one meetings with uh, the people who run the club. But it also acts as a support group. They're with other people that are working on the same issues in regards to fixing up their credit, learning about budgeting and saving, and they're, they're doing it together um, with the same goal of becoming homeowners in the district. Great. So are, are these homes only in certain parts of the city? No, they're all over. Um, like I said, we did start in Shaw mm-hmm. um, in different parts of Ward 1. That's where our offices used to be. It's a lot harder for us to uh, build uh, property there now just because of the prices. The last time we sold condos in Ward 1, it was off of 14th and Clifton Street Northwest, mm-hmm. and we sold the last one there in 2012. Um, and then since then, most of our construction, uh, whether it's rental or homeownership, has been mostly on the eastern side of the city. So you're seeing uh, things in Ward 4, um, which is also Northwest, uh, Wards 5, 7, and 8. Although we do have a project coming up in Shaw, which we're very excited about because it's the first time that we've developed there in over 15 years uh, at the corner of 8th and T. Uh, we're still working with the Department of Housing on the particulars, but it was a city-owned plot of land. Uh, it'll be six townhomes, four of those that'll be affordable uh, at prices that are just a little bit above $200,000, which is absolutely crazy for that area. I mean, that's almost crazy for any area. It is. (laughs) I I don't know how um, you all can stay around because housing stock is so pricey. What is the criteria for someone that is looking to buy a home and want to uh, maybe look through MANA? What is the criteria for? Uh, There's no specific criteria. We'll meet with anyone that is interested in exploring uh, becoming a homeowner. Um, and then we do work with rentals, but our education is focused on home buying. So if someone wants to come in, uh, we will schedule a time to sit down and look at their credit report and kind of assess and walk them through the credit report, kind of talk to them about where they're at. And everyone is free to join the Home Buyers Club. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you make. Um, it does matter if, if you're really, really far away from being uh, home buyer ready like over two three years we may suggest that you work on a few things and then come back to us and then people that are in our home buyer club the incomes range from 20,000 up to even $80,000 um, they're mostly uh, district residents uh, predominantly African-American women um, we see a lot of single female-headed households um, median incomes are probably around $40,000, but that's just the middle we see below and, and above that as far as people that are purchasing homes through us. Uh, and then we, we also see a lot of um, children that are in people's households as well. So how long does it take to go through one of your programs? Again, it depends on how close you are to being mortgage ready. So some folks are 
already on top of their game as far as their credit, so they just need a, lo- a little bit of help to get them there. They maybe need to understand a little bit more about the mortgage process, and so we want to make sure that people are getting into good loans. Um, so some folks, it's as little as four months, and we do our pro- program, the Home Buyers Club, runs for two years. And so that's kind of the cutoff point for us. And and there are some people that it does take them that long, and even some folks that it might take them a little bit longer. But if they're committed and they're working on the process, we're not going to kick them out if they need a little bit more time to get ready. You mentioned um, most of the people are district residents. Does MANA operate outside of the district? We don't as far as building. Um, when we came to the first uh, fair that you had on Rhode Island Avenue, actually at that point we were administering funds that we had gotten from Wells Fargo Bank. It was $7 million that people could use for down payment assistance, uh, $20,000 chunks, and that was going to folks that were purchasing in the district as well as Prince George's County. So that was really the first time that we operated outside of the district. But again, that wasn't for homes that we were building. It was for people that were wanting to purchase homes in Prince George's County. And we did 300 150 loans as part of that program. Um, probably about 60% went to people that purchased in D.C. and the other 40% to Prince George's County. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there is a program where you help people to buy homes, but you also build homes. Yes. Do they have to buy the homes that Mana builds? No, they don't. Um, I wish that we could build that many homes. Okay. I was <laughs> wondering we, how that would We be. have about 300 people that are in our current home buyer club program, and okay. there's no way that we can build that right, quickly. Right. I mean, we do have a pipeline right now of about 100 plus homes, um, and you know, probably about a third of that is home ownership. Um, but we just can't build fast enough. And so we constantly have pe- people coming into the club that are talking about other developments that are going up in the city um, that maybe are affordable. They've got some city subsidy in them that bring down the prices. And then also realtors that are just working in the open market that people can trust. Uh, so we, we try to give people as many options as possible, and even referring people over to uh, partners like Habitat for Humanity uh, that might have some properties that would work for folks. How does Manna get its funding? Uh, it's a mix. So we have um, grant funding. Um, when we're building something, we often do have to use city subsidy, often from the Housing Production Trust Fund, which is a, a local funding mechanism that just got $100 million this past year, which wow. we were excited wow. about. We did a lot of advocacy with uh, fellow nonprofits around that. And we also get bank financing. Um, when you're doing a construction project, you're just pulling in as much as you can to make the project work. Um, and then if it's homeownership, when we are selling those units at the end, we're able to, to pay off our construction loans um, and then whatever else that we need for, for operating. And do you all have your own lenders, or these are just regular lenders out in the marketplace? There are regular lenders out in the marketplace. There are some CDFIs that specialize, um, sorry, certified development financial institutions yes, yes. Uh, that, that specialize in um, in lending uh, for small business loans or for affordable housing. Uh, LISC, the local initiative support collaboration. We just had them in last week. Yeah, so they, basically LISC and MANA grew up together in Washington, D.C. We did a lot of work with them in Shaw, um, and they've been a big part of our success. They've been a really, really great partner and lender, both on the grant side and then also um, the dependable financing that we can use. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, a great partner for us. They're they're focusing on Rhode Island Avenue Main Street as a as a commercial corridor. Uh, so it's just appropriate that that we're all working together. Yeah, yeah. we love them. <laughs> With the property being so expensive in D.C., how are you all able to manage? And and do you? I know you said grants and things, but how do you find your properties that you rehab? Yeah, do you build from 
from the ground up with land? It depends. So uh, right now I, I did mention that we're working with tenants that are using the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act um, in order to go through a process of keeping their, um, their uh, homes affordable. Um, and so in that program, um, we're getting financing from the district in order to make that possible, uh, rehabbing those uh, those buildings that they're living in, uh, maybe even using some federal low-income tax credits in order to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to home ownership, it's a little bit harder to find land on the open market. Um, mm-hmm. Lately, the the projects we've been able to embark on are on city-owned land. And city-owned land that um, specifically the Department of Housing is willing to dispose of at um, little if uh, no cost at all. Uh, so if you don't have cost for acquisition, it makes it a lot easier to do the construction and then offer the homes at a lower price. But then you also need the Housing Production Trust Fund money to come in, uh, which is recycled. Um, that money eventually does come back to the district um, in the future. Uh, but all of those uh, funding mechanisms make a, a project possible. And then occasionally we do have grants for green architecture that we want to include in the project. Uh, so it's just piecing together financing that has to be paid back uh, and then also grants as well. Uh, but most of it is financing. But the public subsidy is really key and then getting getting land for as cheap as possible is, is what makes it possible. But it is getting harder and harder to do. Right. Um, and so uh, we're having to be entrepreneurs ourselves. I think that's one reason that MANA has been around so long and has been as successful as it has been. Uh, We're just trying to adapt and be able to continue to do our mission. And so uh, recently in November, we actually launched something called the MANA 5 and 5 campaign, which is a campaign to um, actually uh, uh, earn $5 million in five years, um, mostly from major donors, but then also from other people um, that are in the grant sphere as well. Um, And that's just to help us to be able to build up um, a reserve um, that isn't just dependent on public subsidy um, and then also the private financing that'll help us to build about 250 new homes um, and be able to set up a a pipeline of education of people that are in our rental buildings, helping them have the opportunity to become homeowners if that's something that makes sense for them. So what is your role in MANA and how did you get involved in this work? Well, we're a faith-based organization. Uh, My boss, Reverend Jim Dickerson, founded the organization. Um, I also attend his church. Um, And I I had a background in um, organizing and advocacy. And so in 2011, he brought me in as a consultant to help them kind of step up some of the work that they were doing around housing advocacy um, that they were doing as an organization themselves and also through a coalition that we're a part of, the Coalition for Nonprofit Housing and Economic Development. Um, and he told me that Jesus said that I, I had to work there, which I told him was not fair and that was ridiculous. <laughs> but I, I really, really enjoyed the time that I spent there. And so I, I came on full time in the beginning of 2012, well, it which like was great. exciting work yeah. anyway. It's so. wonderful work. I really enjoy it. That's great. Kyle, any questions? So I know we've got uh, a couple of large developments going in. Uh, in one of the developments, uh, they're going to be uh, it. They're going to be building a, a variety of, of housing stock from, you know, apartments for rent to uh, row homes for purchase. And one of the things they've talked about is working with existing tenants uh, in, in Brooklyn Manor to get them ready 
to be able to purchase one of those townhomes if they if that's what they would like to do. Um, is is that the type of work that Mana could be involved in? It definitely is. Um, we haven't approached uh, the particular developer and owner of that project about that, but it is something that we've been involved in in the past um, and would love to be involved with things like that in the future. Um, we actually have a grant right now with uh, the uh, Bridge Park project, which they're um, building the 11th Street Bridge Park that right. will connect uh, Ward 6 and, and Ward 8. Yeah. We have a grant with them for a, a home buyers club, uh, specifically for Ward 8 residents, um, trying to help them understand the changes that are happening in the neighborhood and get them ready to purchase, no, you know, you no matter what their economic status is, get them to a place where that could be a possibility for, for them. And so if it's, it's done right with this project at Brooklyn Manor, um, it hasn't always been done right in the past. I think there hasn't been enough education. There hasn't been enough... Um, support for folks in order to be able to make that transition and so by the times the homes become available they're not in a place where they are Mm -hmm. ready um, which is unfortunate and and honestly it's unfair to them Um, so I really hope that that can be that can be done well and people can learn from past mistakes. I know uh, some mid-city finance the developer in in that case they're you know they're very early in the process they're looking at a you know at a minimum a 10-year development uh, project there um, and you know they're they're already talking to residents about you know here's here's how we're going to help you, which I think is fantastic. It is. Um, so I I know that they're trying to do things the right way. Uh, so we'll make sure we we'll, we'll have to sync them up. Yes, yes, to we make will. sure that we can we help would love our to be synced up Ward yeah. Five residents. Yes, uh, and and you guys have uh, some some new things that you would like to talk about. We do have some new things. So in addition to launching this Mana 5 and 5 fundraising campaign, um, we also have been uh, kind of trying to detail our impact over the last 30 years and kind of where we're heading in the future. So Mana actually launched a a new logo for the first time in probably about 15 years um, that you can see on our website at www.manadc.org. Um, with the taglines of dream, reach, earn, and homes for all. Um, and then we've really talked about homeownership is, is the main bread and butter because we think that it's important for people to have the opportunity um, to get out of cycles of poverty and be able to build wealth for their families that they can pass on generationally. Um, and so we've talked a lot about the impact of what homeownership can do uh, in an urban setting and specifically for people that we've worked with in the past. So um, we've, we've looked at stats that a 1% rise in homeownership equals a 1.5% drop in property crime. and a say, one, say that again? A 1% rise in home ownership equals 1.5% drop in property crime and a 1% drop in violent crime. Wow. That's pretty impressive. That is. And uh, it is. It really is. When you when you look at the numbers here in D.C., what that could mean, um, especially in places like Ward 8 where the home ownership rate is less than 25%, mm-hmm. lower than wow, any other place. Yeah. And children of homeowners are 6% greater likelihood of going to college, uh, 9% less likely to receive welfare. Uh, just a $10,000 gain in home equity equals a 6% increase in low-income college enrollment. And that has been true for a lot of our homeowners. They've been able to send their kids and their grandkids to college uh, by using the equity in their home. Some of them even to start small businesses um, and some of them to buy property um, and rent it out to lower-income folks. Um, homeowners are 50% more likely to vote in local elections. And the MANA foreclosure rate is one-third of the citywide average. Um, 
which is wow. which is an, an impressive. And then since 2004, none of our home buyers that have purchased since 2004, and that's you know right before the cusp of the the home uh, yeah, the, the big, crisis mm-hmm. and the foreclosure rates going through the roof, um, we've had no foreclosures. Um, and we attribute that to really good education. People know what to do if they get into a situation where, you know, people lose jobs. Things happen. Right. Um, they know what to do as far as calling their mortgage lender and figuring out um, if they can get into a payment plan. Um, they'll come back and talk to us. They're in good mortgages to begin with. Um, so those are the things that need to be in place for people to be able to be successful. And it is a, it is a model that does work. Uh, those are really impressive statistics. Um, and, and is that some those statistics, are those collected over uh, recent years or big picture years? What are... uh, yeah, all of these are from the past decade. Hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's, there are actually – some of these are on our website as far as the actual sources that they came from. And, and you've got a fancy new video. We do. We have a fancy, fabulous new video um, <laughs> encapsulating our history and the fabulous district residents that we've worked with for the past 30 years, um, what the, the process of becoming a homeowner was like, the challenges that they faced, um, and how they finally did it, um, and then uh, where we want to head to, and we want people to join us in the future. So it's called Dreamers. Uh, the first time I showed it to one of the people that w- was in it, she had just purchased after a three-year process becoming um, a homeowner in the same Anacostia neighborhood that she's been renting in with her husband for the last probably six years. Um, she started crying while oh. watching it, and she said, you know, it's just amazing. This was a really hard process, but I made it through, um, and I'm so happy that we have this together. Yeah, That's yeah. great. And that video is going to be on our website, on our yep, yep. page. It'll so. be on the, on the show website on um, bliss.fm, and it'll also be on our uh, RIA Main Street org website on the Rhode Island Avenue radio page. Great. So we'll make Thank sure you. share the love out there. <laughs> Sarah, if our listeners would like to find out more about MANA and some of the programs and what you all can do for them, where should they look? Uh, they can go online to www.mannadc.org. Uh, that's probably the best resource for them to go to. Um, and they can also uh, call us at 202 and they can find uh, emails for different people on the website as well. And, and we're, we're happy to connect with folks. All right. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah Scruggs from MANA, D.C. Thank you. Have Thanks, a good holiday. Sarah. Yeah, you as well. Welcome back. We are now joined by Greg Harrison, a new business on Rhode Island Avenue called The Museum. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. The Museum. This is an interesting name. Can you tell us what The Museum will be? Okay. The Museum is a boutique, a fashion retail boutique um, that's been inspired for the art and fashion enthusiasts. Uh, We cater to the needs of uh, the creatives and the outcasts. So it's a smaller uh, version of what I would say would if you would if you would go downtown to an art gallery, um, maybe like maybe even like the Longview Gallery. We're a smaller version of a Longview Gallery, but also we take on the apparel effect. 
And how did you come up with this concept? Uh, well, it was a collective effort uh, by myself and, and, and my partners. Um, the, if, you, if you look at museum and you break down the, uh, the word muse, muse is a source of inspiration. So we would like to think that we inspire. Um, we're native Washingtonians, uh, and we help curate the music business here and the fashion business to where it is now. So we felt like since we inspire, um, you know, let's call our situation the museum. So there's going to be clothing here. There's going to be artwork. Yes, we'll have artwork uh, from artists around the city. Um, we'll have pieces from a well-known artist named Sylvester uh, Cause who his pieces range from 3000 up to resell at maybe 100 Wow. Um, he's done collaborations with Pharrell Williams um, and uh, the Bape uh, clothing brand, which we would also have in our store. Um, and on the apparel side, uh, we have uh, Stamped LA. Um, we'll have uh, uh, Puma, Adidas Consortium, um, a lot of the brands that people know will have, uh, but it will be the uh, the collaborative efforts that we would sell more so than the just the generic sneaker. So most um, of this, it sounds like uh, athletic wear. Yeah, well, I would like to call it premium streetwear. Okay, you what know, does that mean? Uh, premium streetwear to our company means that we're just a notch above what a DTLR or a chain store would be I mean price point and then we're you know just below high end where you would shop at a Saks Fifth Avenue when I think about a boutique I think about um, a small store with limited quantities right and that I'm gonna have something that not everyone else has that's exactly um, you know our model Uh, we definitely don't want to oversaturate the marketplace um, with the clothes that we have, we want the customer to feel like you're getting something unique. It's maybe a one of one or a one of five. Well, you mentioned some famous artists, and I haven't necessarily heard of them, but uh, you said you're a native Washingtonian, so you might know that uh, here in Ward 5, we have a lot of local artists, photographers, I've, I've heard. painters, sculptors. Would you ever see featuring any of their work? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, we're all about, we're a community-based uh, company as well. Um, we've uh, just collabor- did a collaborative effort with uh, council member uh, Kenya McDuffie where we uh, we brought maybe 30 to 40 turkeys um, for his turkey drive. Uh, was it Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to do a toy drive um, soon. And we have a lot of things that we're going to do in the community. I mean, we're, we're uh, you know, I'm going to ask you know, and see if uh, Kyle will be down to uh, letting us do a mural, you know, on our Absolutely. Uh, on our facade Absolutely. outside. So we can feature maybe two or three local um, War 5 painters. That would be great. We yeah. have a lot of uh, great artists in this area. And we'll have a wall in our store as soon as you walk into the left. That's for local artists. Oh, terrific. That's where all the paintings will go. Um, even if you wanted to do a full wall and to do a build out on that full wall, um, and it would be in terms of that art, change from, yes, it would be something to change from time to time. Right. Will there be pieces that are just eye candy? When I think of a museum, I think of no touch, any eye candy that might not be for sale, but just part of anything in our store is for sale. Okay. Because art is everything, and art is clothes and. 
it shoes. can be clothes. Kyle, you, can you see if, how excited I am about if, this? If you shoes see a pen, if you see a pen that you like in our store, and you want it, we might sell it to you. Okay. Only thing we can't sell is 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 uh. Are the workers okay? That wouldn't be good. <laughs> that would not be good. That wouldn't be I'm good glad at that all. You're not selling the workers. <laughs> Let's clear that up. You all have already begun renovations of the space. Um, how do you envision incorporating art with the clothes and with the renovation? In the in the space is 2014 Rhode Island Avenue. Yeah. Right? Yep. Wow. Yep. 2014 Rhode Island. Um, it actually was a, a hair salon. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, when you walk in. If you can imagine marble floor, um, you know, it's all white. So, it, you know, it illuminates, makes everything looks more spacious. Um, if you can imagine columns and pillars, you know, so it's going to have that old Greek, like, yeah, it, that's you know, exactly what I yeah, thought. Yes. The columns yes, and white yes, marble. Yes. It has that effect. And I mean, when you come in and you see when you when you're envisioning the apparel, you're seeing it in the wall in frames. As is, as if it was a ah, piece of art. Okay, that yeah. Yes, Close, yes. Those are art, so that you know. Makes sense. So even our furniture, you can buy our furniture. The furniture that you're sitting on to try clothes on, to try mm-hmm. your shoes on, that's a viable product. Perfect. How did you decide to open on Rhode Island Avenue? What, why this location? Uh, a couple different reasons. Um, we actually live in War Five. You know, so, yeah, that's one reason. Um, And then just the great things that we're hearing about uh, Rhode Island. You know, we saw Rhode Island Road. We wanted to to be there, um, but it was a little too busy for us. You know, um, it wasn't. You're on the better end of Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? I mean. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it, it One just... One woman's uh, opinion. I know. Uh, that's right. That's just my personal opinion. You know, we wanted to have a, a more of a Soho feel or or maybe, um, you know, L.A. Like style. In the neighborhood. Yeah, we of. wanted to be in the neighborhood, but on a main street right. where you can see our uh, our front straight from the street. See, and I can walk to get shoes from my house here, so yeah. that's why I think that that's the better end. Yeah. Michelle has found Mecca. Yes, I and we happy. definitely wanted to be somewhere where it was so, it would cater to the art enthusiasts. Like, I feel like artists need space. You know, Rhode Island Row is kind of congested. Yes, but this sounds like a good uh, place. So, what is your background? How did you get into fashion? Okay, well, um, my background in fashion stems from. A job that I had, I interned in New York for the Czech Group, which is now the Icer Brands, and it's basically a collective of uh, fashion companies. They had Apple Bottoms at the time, uh, Darion, House of Darion, that was uh, Beyonce's line, Apple Bottoms by Nelly. Um, they had uh, uh, Unk MBA, which was at the time it was like one of only three MBA licensed companies. The other one was I think Nike and Reebok or Nike and Adidas and then Unk NBA. Um, so I worked for those uh, companies or for that collective group of companies. And I interned for almost a year before I got hired. Um, you know, and I worked in accounts receivable. <laughs> I worked in the mail room. I learned every aspect of that business, you know, and I fell in love with fashion. I fell in love with uh, the development of a brand, you know, and I was actually taught and tutored by uh, James Farrell, um, who at the time ran the uh, Zure Company, um, and George Hill, um, I mean George Hughes, sorry, that uh, he's the CEO of Hughes Vision. 
and he's responsible for back in the day you had Parasuco denim ice tech watches uh he was the marketing director for the new york knicks in their glory years you know he also worked for the nba i mean this this guy was everywhere so i kind of learned the game from him um and i always wanted to start my own brand you know when i was younger you know i would paint on shirts or just draw shirts or you know cut my shirts up until you know till they were to my liking um so it that just never left me you know and um New York is one of those cities where it's fast paced and you, if you don't know how to hustle when you get there you'll know by the time you leave or you'll leave and yeah because the New York yeah. minute is truly a New York minute you know um and I I learned how to build relationships there um relationships are so important especially in this game and in, in the fashion game because a lot of the brands that you deal with they don't want to oversaturate the market you know um so and also it's one of those systems where if they don't know you they won't sell to you mm-hmm. because they want to make sure that their brand is being marketed correctly and they're in a store to their liking they have to actually come down and see your store um you know see the design aesthetics of it and everything and 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 to understand who you are as a brand director and as an owner of the store to ensure that their brand is just not being thrown everywhere you know um and to make sure that their your customer base is their customer base so all of those things matter uh to a lot of these brands and I've been able to between myself and my partners have been able to curate uh you know the relationships with these brands without even having our storefront. They didn't even see the store yet and they're already excited because of our relationships that we already have with them. They trust us. Do you think that uh you would in the future maybe we might see some of your things? No, definitely. Um that's kind of what I want to talk about definitely. Um we want to start to store off with an 80/20 effect. And what I mean by that is 80% of our store will be the brands everybody love and that's attractive to everybody right now. Um but I am in the business to help and develop and curate um you know local designers and private labels. Which so, you would be a part of that. E- exactly. Yeah. So 20% of our store will be dedicated to local designers um and just not local designers but designers across the country that have private labels that are small brands that are just starting out and want to get their name out there um eventually i want half of my store to be private labels i'm just using these brands right now to get everybody to A come in to come yeah, in. yeah yeah but i would love to help people jump start their businesses you well, know that sounds terrific yeah i mean ralph lauren had to start somewhere exactly exactly you, you know so when is the museum slated to open? When can uh, we expect this little treasure? We are, let's say, mid-January. Okay. Mid-January to, to uh, maybe the third week of January. So I'm thinking uh, January 17th around uh, MLK weekend. That would be a, a great time that would be. to open up. Do you think that you're going to have half artwork, half clothing? Well, or? the first the first maybe like 300 to 400 square feet of the store will be nothing but art all art um one of my partners uh demetrius he uh he's an art collector he has like almost four cause pieces they're toys 
They're like four-foot toys. I wish I can show you guys right now. They're like four-foot toys. They look like little, uh, maybe a rendition of Mickey Mouse, you know, but a little distorted. I mean, those are going for almost $20,000 on resale. So, yeah, like we'll have those in glass cases as soon as you walk in. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to see what this looks like. Oh, definitely. So, Greg, if our listeners want to find out more about the museum, I know you all haven't opened yet, but... Where right. can they look? Well, our website will be up the day of the launch, and it's themuseumdc.com. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. All of our social handles is at themuseumdc. And so that's already up and, and going. It's it's up, but we don't have too many pictures up. Right. It's just a logo right now. Right. Um, you know, I have a marketing background, so we like to do things strategically. Okay. So you we know. should be seeing something soon. You, you will definitely, in, in two weeks... Uh, you will start seeing things done virally. Like we have video footage of what the spot used to look like, and we're going to update you on what it looks like now. Um, you know, our travel, we want you to be able to live this with us. So we've been documenting everything. You know, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> so our trips to New York when we're in sales meetings and things of that nature, all of that's documented, like video. Perfect. We look forward to seeing that. Can you give us your address once more? Uh, the museum shop is located in 2014 Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, Perfect. Washington, D.C. All right. So we're looking forward to a January opening. Yes. Yep. And uh, we will be setting up a ribbon cutting for you. You know, we'll, Definitely. We'll have a big party. Definitely. You guys appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. You guys have been more than welcoming. Um, and it's, if it's anything I can do for any of the businesses here as well, like I said, we have a marketing background. Um, you know, you guys will see, uh, we'll be, you know, really good neighbors here, uh, you know, and we'll bring a lot of traffic, um, you know, to the neighborhood as well. Good traffic. That's good. perfect. Good. You know. like it. All right. Well, Greg, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me.